The off-season hot stove continues to grind along like the snow-covered traffic in the window outside my door uh, that Carrie Crowley has conveniently skipped out on. Um, <laughs> and we're going to talk about the winner here on another K-Raj podcast. I am Roger Munter. I'm joined by Carrie Crowley, enjoying some California warmth, I'm sure, uh, while we're freezing out east. Carrie, how you doing? Uh, 50 degrees has never felt so good, Roger. I've been walking around <laughs> short sleeve shirts, shorts. Uh, my family thinks I'm crazy, but I'll tell you, this has been a glorious week to be away from the East Coast. You are missing your first snow. I think I think you need to experience this, but don't worry, we have more in store for you. I'm sure you do, and I will be doing everything I can to to book a trip to like the whatever the cheapest U.S. Virgin <laughs> Island is. That's where I want to get to. Well, we're we're a month away from pitchers and catchers reporting, and it's one of those winners where a lot of big fish are still sitting out there, and a lot of them are sitting out there uh, in Scott Boris's office. Uh, that seems to be the key to a lot of what's going on. I want to, you know, we've talked a lot about Blake Snell. We've talked a lot about kind of big targets, uh, but I wanted to start today by asking you. Where is the line for you between, yes, go bold, go big, get these guys, get this talent on the roster, and my God, that's a silly number being discussed. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's just so different with every free agent, but it is a question that we need to start asking ourselves because clearly some of these guys, especially the Boris clients, are waiting for a number to be met. And I think that Scott Boris and his huge team of associates, remember the Boris Corp is massive. Uh, they are, you know, probably calling up teams and expecting the Giants to be one that could say, you know, we have to overpay for people. So Blake Snell, $240 million is yours. But I think the Giants are waiting to say, we're not going to pay $60 million more than anyone else just because we've struggled to sign free agents historically. So I think for each free agent, there's probably a number. And for me, Blake Snell, I, I really would be hesitant to go over 210 seven years. And even that seems maybe exorbitant right now. I think I'd be a lot more comfortable with 180, Roger. Um, but again, not my money. So, <laughs> you know. It's true. But the the idea of paying Blake Snell till he's 40 is, is a little intimidating. I, I think I want to spend that $200 million building a time machine so you can go back two years pay Kevin Gausman his hundred million and, you know, be done with it. Um, But I do say when I hear, when you hear rumors like nine years, 270 or whatever it is, um, a pivot to like Jordan Hicks makes a lot of sense to me. And I don't know, uh, your colleague Grant Brisby has been, uh, has suggested that the whole converting him to a starter thing is maybe a bit of a dodge and, and they'll see how it goes. But, but be happy to get four years of him at the back of their bullpen, which may well be true. But I can at least see the thinking that is you're looking at Blake Snell and saying that is not a price we're comfortable with going with a big arm and seeing what you can do with it. This is a club that has shown its talents at bringing out the best in pitchers. I can see that as an intelligent pivot. Yeah. And what I kind of wonder is what those talents in bringing out the best in pitchers are going to look like 
during the Bob Melvin era, Roger, because this is an organization that lost Matt Daniels before, uh, you know, this offseason began, maybe last offseason. You're last better year. off yeah. now. Yeah. So uh, they've also lost Andrew Bailey, Brian Bannister. I mean, the pitching infrastructure the Giants had assembled and was kind of the envy of a lot of teams in the league has been dismantled. And they're coming back to it with Brian Price, who was out of a job as a major league pitching coach. He is the San Francisco Giants pitching coach. Garvin Alston, who I think is a great hire coming from Sacramento, is yeah. going to be the bullpen coach. But again, it's really tough to make that you know transition from AAA to the big leagues when you've got a new infrastructure coming into place. And so I really wonder what's going on behind the scenes and what the Giants are doing to say, you know, hey, Jordan Hicks, we'd love to see you use a splitter. We'd love to see your sinker play at Oracle Park. How are they going to get that out of it? What is the new coaching staff's responsibility in all of this? To me, is one of the most fascinating dynamics in the way that they approach these young pitchers and the pitchers that they're signing. Yeah, absolutely. The I think one of the those those sneaky behind the scenes stories that's going to be so crucial is in fact how well Brian Price meshes with the R and D department that we know is sitting you know across the <laughs> hall from the manager's office, right? Brian Price told Andy Baggerly, your colleague, I believe in having starters pitching innings. Well, Jordan Hicks, um, Kyle Harrison, his max is 113. (laughs) Keaton Wynn, who's never topped out over 100. Tristan Beck, uh, you know, Cobb and and Ray coming from back from injuries. And when Farhan says we need a lot of spots that give us flexibility, whether that's options or moving roles, Sounds a lot like last year's program in terms of a lot of bulk innings, mixing and matching. That's going to be a fascinating subplot of this year, just to see how well these voices mesh. Yeah. One of what I think is the most interesting things about the Bob Melvin hire and the staff that the Giants have assembled under Melvin is it felt like there was going to be some sort of significant philosophical shift from the front office this offseason where they would go and they would get true starting pitchers, and you'd probably see maybe the end of bullpen games. and You'd get more position players, and you'd see the end of platoons, but they've almost assembled a roster this offseason, and believe me, there's a lot more work to be done, so I could look like a fool here very soon. I've looked like a fool often in the past when it comes (laughs) to discussing the Giants, but they've assembled a roster where, yeah, Brian Price wants starters to throw innings, but who's capable of taking down more than five at a time? Because you're not going to go from Kyle Harrison topping out at, you know, 112 or 113 in his minor league career to, hey, Kyle, you're at 180 as a 22-year-old pitcher. Yeah. I I was doing some sort of back of the napkin numbers. I knew um, you would be. Just looking at innings, you know, the, the classic thing, you've got to cover 1,400 innings. And, you know, you can say, okay, maybe we'll get 200 from Webb. And and most of those bullpen guys averaged about 60, you know, the back of the bullpen. So there's around 500 innings. It starts getting dicey after that, you know. You can figure maybe Ross Stripling gives you 100, but you don't know what the quality is. Maybe Robbie Ray gives you, I don't know, 50 yeah, something like that. Cobb, it's a total guess with Robbie. It's Ray. a total guess. Cobb, you hope maybe to get to 100. He got 130. That all leaves you with somewhere in the nature of four, 500 innings left. That's some combination of now Hicks and Harrison, Wynn, Beck, 
Black, Wiz and Hunt, you know, these guys are good. I mean, Hayden Birdsong is taking down 200 in this equation. How do you get 500 innings out of this group of guys who have all kind of topped out around the 100 mark at best in their career so far? That's going to be a fascinating puzzle, and it's not going to be a five-man rotation puzzle, I don't think. No, certainly not a five-man rotation puzzle. That's why I, I think that it's imperative that they sign at least one guy who I don't even care if he's got a four or five career ERA at this point. If he can take down 160, 170 innings, you're making life easier and the quality of the innings potentially better for a Tristan Beck, for a Keaton Wynn, for a Kyle Harrison, for a Mason Black. I think that the expectation as we do our own back of the napkin math, because I've done some, is that there's going to be a lot of days where you're penciling in five or six from those guys and you yeah. loved end spring training where you're saying, if we can get an average of three or four, and then if one of these guys emerges and proves that he can be the five or six guy or two of these guys by the middle of July are bona fide major league starters and they're pitching every fifth day, that's great for the San Francisco Giants. But right now, you want that to be a less of a hope and well, you want that to be less of a need and more of a hope. Yes, yeah, so, so you're on the 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 Hunjin Rue kind of uh, bandwagon. <laughs> they missed their missed their chance at Seth Lugo. He might have been the perfect guy for what you're talking about. Yeah, I will I will say that there is to me something a little fascinating and canny about the way they're mixing young pitchers coming up and old pitchers with injuries or sustainability issues. Uh, in a way that brings the young guys along without putting too much of a burden on them. So you can kind of see, okay, well, Jordan Hicks needs a tandem guy, and maybe that's Tristan Beck. And maybe you give Wynn these, like, you know, 80 innings or 50 innings or whatever before Cobb comes back and then back off on him. They are building in flexibility to try and develop these young pitchers without necessarily – relying on them totally. And that's an interesting strategy. The flexibility to me is at the point where you're looking at a United States gymnast. They're doing the split <laughs> right now. They've got too much flexibility. Seriously. Like I would I I like the idea of flexibility on your pitching staff. I think that having tandem guys is good. And especially in, as you develop Kyle Harrison, the last thing you want him to do is go into a season where he has it in his mind that he's got to take down 175, 180 innings. I think that you're setting him up for disaster if that's the case, but you have to come up with a more natural bridge than a Jordan Hicks because <laughs> right now, look, I love the idea of Kyle Harrison going five innings turning the ball over to Ryan Walker for the sixth, Tyler Rogers for the seventh, Jordan Hicks for the eighth, and Camilo Doval for the ninth. Because think about the arm angles that those hitters are going to see. When you go Walker to Rogers to Hicks to Doval, that's baffling. But at the same time, you're counting on those four guys four or five days a week. Yeah. <laughs> you just can't do that. And so... I don't know. Where do you see this all trending? Do they make another addition? Do they bring in non-roster guys? Or did they just say, hey, we know Carson Wisenhunt and even Hayden Birdsong are going to be a part of the equation at some point this year? I mean, I started to write a piece this week, which was 
going to be called, you know, is, is this the return of the soft rebuild? And yeah. uh, I, I never got around to it in part because I don't see that there's an argument against that. It, it seems to be very clearly the way this roster is setting up between the fact that they right now are relying so much on these young pitchers. And, and Zaidi has been pretty clear all along that he didn't want those kind of depth pitch starting options because he thought they had that. You add that to Marco Luciano being the only kind of guy for the shortstop position. Right now, Tyler Fitzgerald, Casey Schmidt, these are the only back, Brett Wisely. These are the backup options. Um, and you're bringing Young Hu Lee over from Korea to transition. And you're talking about making Jordan Hicks a starter. Like everything is development right now. And it kind of works, you know, if you like, twist the the kaleidoscope you can say i can see how that can click into like an 85 86 win competitive team but there's just massive amounts of risk at like every position along the way i don't know is this are we back at the soft rebuild what do you think yeah i I love this question and i think it's absolutely imperative january 18th that we start asking it and you were the one who came up with this and i'm really excited to dive into it i think Is a baseball fan, you hope that every season ends in the history books. You hope that we're talking about something special happening. And right now, the Giants are a science experiment. It's just a completely different equation right now. And it does feel to me like, okay, you miss out on Otani. You miss out on Yamamoto. And when that happens, it becomes a soft rebuild. Because the rest of the free agent class... Either the Giants are slow playing things beyond uh, any possible point where I thought that they could get to with Matt Chapman and Blake Snell, or they just simply aren't going to be the teams that sign those guys. And I, we'll, we'll see, but it does have the feeling to me like, okay, if Michael Conforto gets hurt, we're comfortable throwing Luis Matos and Wade Meckler out there and giving them those at-bats. If you know we can't find the right backup shortstop, it's going to be Luciano. If it's not him, it's Schmidt, it's Fitzgerald. Uh, you know, and we're going to give all of these guys all of these opportunities that maybe if you'd signed Otani or Yamamoto, you wouldn't have been as committed to because you would have felt that sense of urgency to win. You know, one thing that caught my ear, I guess, um, and it must have been the press conference after they made the deal with with Seattle, Um or Farhan talked about Robbie Ray being a perfect complimentary number two pitcher to Logan Webb. And I'm like, wow, Robbie Ray, let me just, I'm going to read to you Robbie Ray's war totals for the last six years. Please right? do. 0.8, negative 0.4, 3.9, 1.7. And then last year, zero, because he, he hardly pitched. I don't, does that sound like in any world, like even when healthy, a guy you want to be relying on as a number two pitcher? He's had one three war year since 2018 and three in his career. His high, his Cy Young year was 3.9. That doesn't sound like a number two to me, even if Tommy John weren't part of the equation. So I hear that and I'm like, well, and part of that is they lost out on Yamamoto and they're not maybe, maybe don't want to pay the price for Snell. So they're finding the best option they can, which I applied, but a lot of it sounds like, well, we think maybe Kyle Harrison, hopefully is going to be a number two at some point. 
Um, and I, I think there's this two timeline thing going on there. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's really hard to square that comment, which is, of course, the more recent comment with the things that Farhan Zaidi said at the outset of the offseason, really when the Giants made the decision to fire Gabe Kapler. And I go back to the general manager meetings. Farhan was on MLB Network saying that the Giants have missed out postseason two years in a row, and that's unacceptable, even though the historians of Giants baseball know that the Giants don't often make the postseason in back-to-back years. In fact, it never happens. Sadly, um, we've accepted it too often. <laughs> but to hear you read out Robbie Ray's war numbers and to know that he's not even available to start adding to that war or subtracting to that war, because as evidence, that's a very real possibility until at least the month of July. It's just incredibly frustrating, I think, for a large segment of Giants fans who've sat through a lot of losing in the past five, six seasons, seven seasons, really. And I think that the sense of urgency is lacking. And yes, you want to see the development of Kyle Harrison. You want to see the development of Keaton Wynn. I, I love the splitter. I think that he could be a number three or number four by 2025. But you would like him to be fighting for that number five job, as opposed to, hey, Keaton, you might be fighting for the number three job. Because <laughs> that's where the Giants are at right now. I mean, you talk about frustrating for fans. The uh, Somebody asked me recently, well, what's what's wrong with just, you know, doing a rebuild year, a couple of rebuild years? And I, I, my response to that really is Logan Webb. Yeah. Logan Webb has committed the prime of his career to this team, and he wants to win right now. And you don't yeah. know how long that prime lasts. And, you know, we just saw what happened to Sandy Alcantara in the wake of him, you know, leading the national league in, in innings and, and winning a Cy Young. It doesn't have to go on forever for Logan. And I think he deserves from the giants, the same commitment he gave to the team, right. Yeah. Which is a chance to go out and pitch for something meaningful. Yeah. So that's the guy who I think you know, maybe has room to frustrate. But let's, uh, well, I'll curve this to a to a positive way. If there are a couple moves out there that you think can allow them to do both, which is bring along the talent that they need to set themselves up for 2025, 2026, 2027, and be a, a a solid competitive team uh, in the wildcard mix. What is, what's the move or two you, you say a guy who can soak up some innings, which makes sense. Um, do you have anything in mind of like, where's the, the two timeline move that you'd like to see? I'd really like to see a Corbin Burns acquisition, just because I think that if you get him in the rotation, you add 180 innings and it's quality. It's, yeah. Someone with Cy Young caliber stuff who strikes people out, who misses bats, who is, you know, going to hit free agency and you've got the opportunity to showcase him for a year and if you acquire him now, you're going to get a qualifying offer on him at the end of the season. I think that he is the guy to me who's seemingly available unless Milwaukee really wants to run it back one more time that I would go after and I think he's a cut above a Shane Bieber, who I think the Guardians will probably trade at some yeah. point this offseason. Um, I don't know that Dylan Cease is really the right fit for the Giants because multiple years of control and you're probably giving up better prospects than you would for a Corbin Burns right now. The question is if you could pull off a Burns and Adamas trade without giving up a Luciano or a Harrison, yeah. you're probably giving up 
five guys at minimum two really young lottery tickets. And we've seen how that can work out in a uh, James Shields, Fernando Tatis deal. Sometimes those lottery tickets prove to be, to be winners. I think that's, that's one that I'd look at really closely, but maybe you absorb some salary and take on Christian Yelich. I, I don't, I don't know. What's the move that you see out there? That I mean, I would love to get Corbin Burns in a, in a Giants uniform because, you know, local kid, he's again, a cut above. He is a number two, no doubt about yeah. it. Um, and I think he's the type of guy that maybe you could sell on Northern California and, and keep him long-term. I mean, the question really is, does Milwaukee have a motivation to move him now as opposed to July, right? How much yeah. different is the offer they're going to get today from seven, seven months from today. And if it's not that different, then why not just throw it out there? They're in a terrible division. See what happens. See if you get a few breaks and, and wait it out. Um, that's probably what I would do if I were Milwaukee, yeah. which means you have to overpay in prospects now to get them. Um, which means <laughs> Harrison or Luciano, which is right. Which you're, you're you don't want to do. Um so I think so who's your guy? Like let's let's hear free agent or trade. I I I am still on the Matt Chapman bandwagon. Um and and again it sounds like there's a number there that that they're not comfortable with, but I do I mean they have made their hey pitching style on sinkers. I, I mean they like sinkers, they like splitters. They they do really good things with, with change-ups, but they get balls put on the ground. So having a platinum glover in the corner seems good to me. And I and as I said last time, I like the way that has ripple effects down through the roster to kind of strengthen the bench um, as well. And I, I think, you know, when they moved Mitch Hanniger, I liked that move. I liked kind of, you know, clearing that logjam a little bit. Um, but it's pretty clear they're light on power at this point. I mean, they weren't a yeah. good power team last year. They got rid of one of their potential power sources. So getting some right-hand power and a great glove, I do think that's a good move with a lot of effects through the lineup. I also, I'm very interested to see what they're going to do in the middle infield. Uh, another guy, I don't know if he's available, but I keep coming back to Jorge Polanco. Um, yes who is a pretty good hitter. Uh, he's had injury problems, but he's a good hitter. He's left-handed, which their infield doesn't have a lot of. Um, they've got some other shortstop options there. So I do wonder if he could possibly be available. And I think he'd be a great little pickup. Um, I'm, I'm much less, I'm a bit stymied on the pitching thing <laughs> because yeah. uh, I can see why they don't, want just an innings guy i mean in a sense that's what stripling is and you could toss him out there and say go give us 130 ross and and hope for you know 2022 toronto version um so kind of they already have that guy and i'm just and dylan sees you know he's kind of a fip he's kind of a, a fip darling but he's secretly not that good <laughs> <laughs> a fifth darling he is because he strikes out a lot of guys um but do yeah. you remember in in uh like 2012 or 2013 there were people who would say timmy's just unlucky because the strikeout rate was really high right but anytime he threw it in the strike zone it was getting crushed somewhere um yeah i actually think that was early career corbin burns like if he yeah. didn't someone out he was giving up a home run yeah that's true <laughs> yeah 
Um, the, the other guy, it doesn't really help with the, the problem we're trying to solve, but I, I do kind of wonder what Brandon Woodruff's situation is right now. And I, you know, if he could be picked up and possibly brought back late in the year, uh, it, it doesn't, I'm not sure if he's out for the year, but he's another guy that would be sort of interesting if you get one of those sort of creative contracts that, that give you a couple of years of his, uh, of his career. Yeah, do you go like two years, 45 million with Brandon Woodruff? With an opt-out. You got to have an opt-out. <laughs> <laughs> an opt-out for a guy who might not pitch for you this year. That would be the ultimate contract that the Jacks could give out. There, there's a name that I'm going to ask you about, Roger, just because he keeps coming up in every video that I do on YouTube chats. And no, it's not. Tyler Fitzgerald, and I'm reminded by diehard Giants fans. Every I do time want to I talk about Tyler Fitzgerald. <laughs> every time I don't mention Tyler Fitzgerald, people scream at me. But Reese Hoskins, because a lot of people see the Northern California connection. A lot of people see the 30 power, uh, 30 home run power in his bat. And I think you're probably spending 20 plus million to sign in this year. And you've got Wilmer Flores, who seemingly does most of what Reese Hoskins does. Yeah. He doesn't hit 30, but he's hit 20. Is Reese Hoskins redundant or is there a move to be made in bringing him in? So, I mean, I really like Reese Hoskins. He is, you know, a great power source. He's a he, a big Giants fan, as we know. Uh, yes. So that's always fun. I think you get Reese Hoskins, you have to be moving J.D. Davis somewhere. So oh, I would do, I would do that maybe get Chapman and Hoskins and send Davis somewhere to another team, you know, for relief help, which they need. Uh, there's some, yeah. some holes in the back of the bullpen. Uh, I like him as a player, but I don't think with Wade Flores Davis already there, he makes a ton of sense. Uh, Cause he's yeah. really a DH, right? I mean, he's, he, He's, yeah. he's definitely not an outfielder and he's not a great first baseman, but he's a really good D8. So, no, JD Davis, opening day third baseman for the, Cle no, <laughs> not for the Cleveland Guardians. Opening day DH for the Cleveland Guardians. Only, with, only uh, guy who the team did not come to terms with uh, on an ARB number. So, yeah, they're waiting for the Guardians to tell them. <laughs> Kai Correa fixed his defense. Jose Ramirez, you know, he's he's all good there in Cleveland, but they just need they need someone to be able to play the corners as a backup. Uh, I mean, the Padres, have you looked at the Padres depth chart? There are some holes in the, that lineup. The, the Padres have my favorite roster in all of baseball because you've got like five premium talents <laughs> and then 20 huge question marks. They are taking stars and scrubs to a level that is <laughs> literally, if you look on fan graphs on the resource, one of their starting outfielders is a non-roster invite. <laughs> Yes, that, that adds up. That adds up. I think uh, we talked about the questions in the Giants rotation. I mean, the Padres rotation is just like that. So uh, you mentioned you wanted to talk about Tyler Fitzgerald. So we should do that. Well, we should because so this goes back to this 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 shortstop question. It seems like way too much of a risky strategy to have rookie Luciano backed up by rookie Fitzgerald and yet Tyler does do things that the team needs he's very athletic he's very fast they don't have either other than him in my opinion a backup shortstop or a backup second baseman I guess Brett Wisely is is a, is a good second baseman but I think he's stretched at short um 
and he gives you a backup center fielder, which they don't really have if Yaz and and uh, Slater are your right field tandem. I wouldn't be unhappy with Tyler being on this bench as as oh, yeah. that guy. And yet it's pretty risky. I'd like to see him kind of like what you said with about Keaton Wynn. I'd like to see him battle for the position with uh, with somebody who maybe is, has a few major league reps. Um, I don't know. Where, where is your feeling on Tyler? Do you think that the 2024 Giants are better with him as that utility infielder who can move in the outfield? Or should they be looking at a veteran option there? They should be looking at a veteran option. They should have someone in camp and Tyler Fitzgerald should win the job because they will be better with Tyler Fitzgerald as that guy. But you have to protect against a Marco Luciano injury. You have to protect against Casey Schmidt looking the same at the plate that he did this year. And it's just so important that you bring in someone who's had major league caliber at bats and there's so many guys each year where you bring them into spring training and on March 22nd, you say, thanks for playing. You know, it's time to take the pink slip and look elsewhere. And that's mm-hmm. happened. I mean, I covered the guys who made the team. In- Jimmy Rollins. <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy Rollins. Jimmy Rollins, great giant. <laughs> I remember one time I was interviewing Brandon Crawford about what he learned from Jimmy Rollins. And he said, oh, we didn't play together that much. We did a few drills together. <laughs> <laughs> not, not really giving me what I'm looking for here. Uh, but yeah, like Jan Hervey Salarte made the Giants one year. Right. Hara made the Giants one year. There are players who have no business being in camp who end up on the team because they've got major league experience. You've got kids who you're not ready to turn over the job to. And I'd like to see the Giants turn over the job to Tyler Fitzgerald. You mentioned the fact that he brings elements that they miss they miss the athleticism they miss the positional versatility he he's exciting to watch on the baseball diamond which i think the giants lack you would just like him to go into camp knowing that he's going to have to earn the job so this brings up a question that a lot of my readers keep asking me um and yeah i love the way you framed it you know Salarte and and Para were on the same team, I think, right for for part of April. And amazingly, oh, yeah. Para ended up a cult hero on a World Series champion that same year, right? He bounced over the net. Nationals. A lot of my readers keep saying, "What about Brandon Crawford? What about Brandon Crawford? Should they sign him as the backup?" And uh, I was just writing writing something up uh, about that today. The problem is Brandon Crawford is not a guy you can give that thank you for participating ticket to and send along his way because of the legacy he brings, which complicates it. In some ways, he's ideal, but in that way that you don't have the option of saying, nope, I want Tyler Fitzgerald at the end of spring, he really complicates the picture. What are your thoughts on, on a Brandon Crawford uh, reunion? Yeah, I mean, if Brandon Crawford had spent the last 13 seasons playing for the Arizona Diamondbacks, it's a no-brainer that you sign him. It's a no-brainer that he's in camp with you. Non-roster deal, pushing Marco Luciano for the job, being your backup veteran depth, seeing if you can get one more year out of him. And it's it's just easy to do that. Yeah. In this situation, you can't guarantee him the reps. You want to give him a good ending to his Giants career. I don't know what's, you know, the thought process in Crawford's head. If he'd be open to coming back and being a backup, my guess is he's probably still looking for a timeshare opportunity at the shortstop mm-hmm. position. 
I don't know how many of those exists out there. My guess is he probably only wants West Coast because his family's in Arizona and, you know, he is attached to the San Francisco Giants. Honestly, the A's are a great team for Brandon Crawford right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're a team that could absolutely give him the reps that he wants if he wants to prove that he can go one more year at the major league level. I just think it's so hard for the Giants, and I don't, I am not qualified to say what the ending should be. All I know is the guy had he's top 10 position player in San Francisco era history for me. Yeah, uh, you can't put even a, a value on the contributions that he made because they were so incredible. And I don't know that you want him going out, losing a, a spot to Tyler Fitzgerald at the end of spring training, even if he, you know, gets nine hits and 40 at bats and Fitzgerald gets seven. And you think that Fitzgerald's the better hit for the t- better yeah. fit for the. T- yeah, uh, I'm totally in agreement with you on that. It, you just can't send him out that way. So even though he fits in some ways, it uh, it, it doesn't. The irony of all this is. The perfect player, I think, I've decided for the Giants situation was actually a Seattle Mariner, and they didn't jump on it before the Mariners shipped him to Tampa Bay. But Jose Caballero, who's a great glove guy in the middle infielder, would have actually been a perfect, perfect plan. And somehow the one guy they let get away from Seattle uh, without getting their hands on. Who would have been the trade? So who's the Giants equivalent of Luke Rayleigh? Because that was a Caballero for Rayleigh straight up. Uh, I don't know. Blake Sable, maybe. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. Cooper Hubble, former Mariner. <laughs> well, he'd be back on his way to they season. just had him a month ago. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're, we're down to our, our last uh, couple of minutes. Uh, you, you got any uh, closing thoughts slash questions? Yeah, I got a closing question for you. One player we haven't discussed who limited major league experience or no major league experience who you're excited to see in spring training. Uh, one player we have not discussed. Uh, I will say Eric Miller, a uh, big left-handed pitcher the Giants acquired from the Phillies a year ago in a in a small deal for for uh, Junior Marte, um, up to ninety nine with his with his fastball, really good change, really good slider. And as I look at the depth chart today, he is the number two left-hander in the bullpen, um, one of only three left-handers on the forty-man roster. Um, I, he, he sure looks like a lock for this roster to me, and uh, I'm pretty excited to see uh, how he takes this opportunity and runs with it. I'm a big Eric Miller guy. I kind of wish he got an opportunity last season, but you spilling out the depth chart. Uh, when we talked about the year that Jan Hervey, Salarte, and Gerardo Parra were in camp, reminded <laughs> me, I think Jerry Blevins was in camp that year, trying to string along his career. Uh, baseball <laughs> to me, a great crossover, Jerry Blevins. <laughs> they need a few of him. They need a few of him in Scottsdale this spring. Oh. I mean, they could bring Scott Alexander back in NRI. I don't think he signed anywhere yet. Yeah, uh, they probably will. They probably will. They are a little light on the on the left side of the pen at the moment. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. I assume at some point uh, the NRIs will start start rolling in, and we'll we'll see a little more depth in the, in the later relief. Well, you know the hot stove's hot when we're talking NRIs, Roger. You absolutely do. You it doesn't get any better than that. Um, the snow's on the ground, but I will be making spring training ticket plans soon, so it's not that far away, and a lot has to happen. Um, I guess that is it for this time, Carrie. We'll we'll be talking again in a week, and maybe someone will turn on the stove between now and then. I don't know. 
We can only hope. <laughs> Thanks, Roger. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Which will you hope for? Which can it be?